It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Whitney Lordson. It's interesting when, as a human being, you experience something that you don't have a term or a framework to verbally express, per se, and then you come across a story or article or situation where there's a framework and a terminology that you can assign to it. It's not necessarily a requirement, but I think it's interesting when you're like, oh, that, I've been feeling that way too. So there's this interesting new term that I was introduced to through Whitney. You had put this in our topic list for this might get uncomfortable a while ago. And I was just this weekend kind of catching up on reading a bevy of different articles on psychology and mental health and research and sociology. We, we like to do a lot of reading. We're both, Whitney and I are both bookworms. She's more into research than I am. But one of, the, I think, the basic tenets of this might get uncomfortable is we want to educate ourselves, expand our horizons, and then bring those thoughts, musings, and reflections to you, the listener, the watcher, and the reader. Whatever medium you're consuming this podcast, whether it's audio on a great podcast platform, whether it's our YouTube channel. Thank you for your subscribership if you're subscribed to our YouTube channel. And if you're just reading the transcript in the show notes, however you consume this, thank you. Today's topic, which was, again, one of the things when I read it, I went, oh, I've been feeling this, is a term called eco-anxiety. And this comes from an article from The Guardian. This is one of my favorite websites where I feel like we've referenced multiple times in the history of this podcast because I think they present some really interesting perspectives on life and they're very well researched. So in The Guardian, the title of the article says, climate anxiety and PTSD are on the rise and therapists don't always know how to cope. So the general summary of this article is talking about this psychotherapist named Andrew Bryant back in 2016 was working with a couple and the the young man didn't want to have this hypothetical child with his life partner because he had these fears of an apocalyptic world that would be forever changed by climate change and his partner his his female partner wanted to have one and it was this very difficult conversation fraught with despair and anxiety and apparently he didn't know how to deal with it he didn't know what to say the therapist that is and I guess the American Psychiatric Association, the APA, does recognize climate change as a growing threat to mental health. But according to this article, a lot of mental health professionals don't feel equipped with the terminology or the framework to help people who are experiencing PTSD or anxiety as they grieve over the state of the planet. And it's interesting, A, not only Whitney to have a terminology around this, they call it eco-anxiety in here, but to see that there's a lot of therapists who don't know how to deal with this. And before we get into the nitty gritty, you know, there was a survey that was put out that said nearly one in five therapists described their clients' responses to this as inappropriate. This was also an interesting part. Several participants said that their clients' beliefs around climate change were, quote, delusional or exaggerated. 
which is interesting, right? Because one mental health professional in this study said there was an experience with their therapist. So this is a therapist who has a therapist. And when she divulged her anguish and her, her fear over the severity of the drought and climate change, her therapist said, okay, but what is this really about? It doesn't sound like her therapist was trying to gaslight her, but it just doesn't sound like there's a lot of competence in the mental health field around how to deal with this. Now, I've had many nights where I have sat around with existential dread around what is happening on the planet. You know, at the time of this recording, we are recording this at the end of June in 2021, time of this recording. And I do mean like the day. There are some interesting things happening in the United States with climate. First of all, in my hometown of Detroit, I've been talking to my mom because her power has been out for three or four days because of the flooding. And the flooding got so bad, Whitney, I actually saw a video of one of the manufacturer's lots for, they call it Stellantis now. It's basically, I think, like what they've renamed Chrysler, Fiat, Alfa Romeo, like whatever that corporation is, Peugeot, like it's now called Stellantis, which I think is just a stupid name. So I just call it Chrysler, but it's technically Stellantis. Anyway, I'm being a car geek. There was someone who showed a video, Whitney, of after they manufactured like the Jeep Cherokees, the SUVs, the water was up to the roof line. That's how high the water in Detroit has been. Like it literally, all, you know how high an SUV is, right? It was almost up to the fucking roof line of the car. Like that's how bad the flooding in Detroit is right now. And here in the West Coast, Whitney and I are based in California. Up in Seattle and Portland, they have had record-breaking temperatures, and we have just started summer. I read today that Portland had a record high of 114 degrees, and in some places in British Columbia on the West Coast, they got up to 117 degrees. Like, this is many, many, many degrees higher than the previous records. All of this is to say, whether or not you, dear listener, watcher, reader, believe in human-created climate change, I've had debates with people where they're like, oh, it's the natural shifting of the magnetic poles and, you know, animal agriculture and cars aren't really doing it and we should just keep doing what we're doing. I don't necessarily want to turn this episode into a debate or say anyone is right or wrong. From the research I have seen from the UN and different scientific organizations, I personally do believe, Whitney, that human-created climate change through deforestation, through the incineration of plastics, through in particular animal agriculture with the carbon dioxide and the methane that's released, and also transportation, I do believe we have had a hand in the last 150 years since the Industrial Revolution of contributing to this. I don't want to debate anyone. I have no desire to. That's my personal belief. But I am afraid of what is happening on the planet right now. And so when I read this article about eco-anxiety, I thought, if I'm honest about it, there are days or nights where I sit up thinking like, what the fuck are we going to do about all this? Where are we going to go? Because if we continue to have the kind of weather that we've been having on the West Coast, at some point it might become uninhabitable. And then where is tens of millions or billions of people going to go? I don't know. It's actually bringing up anxiety for me just talking about it because it makes me wonder where is a safe place to be? You know, moving forward in life, where is going to be safe? If we continue to have a higher incidence of droughts, flooding, hurricanes, wildfires, I don't know. It, it brings up to me a lot of like deep issues around safety. And this is all to say, I'm curious if this is something you deal with, with your anxiety, if this is something you ruminate on, Whitney, and if this, any of this, this article in terms of anxiety or PTSD or worries about the future and climate, if this resonates with you. Is this something that keeps you up like it does me? 
It reminded me of the first time I really started feeling anxiety about climate change. And I wish I could find it. I just tried. I feel like there was an article in the Rolling Stone. It was a magazine like that. Like I remember even what it looked like. And a friend of mine in high school showed it to me. And I'm pretty sure it was about oil and the challenges with oil production. So he was feeling all the stress about it. And he was like, you know, going on this rant about how we're doomed. And I remember thinking two things is one, like, what is he talking about? We're not doomed. Like I was in denial about it. And then two, it planted that seed of anxiety and fear within me. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's part of why I became so focused on eco-friendly living starting in 2008 was like when it, I really started to get into it and I was reading about it and immersed in that whole world. But an interesting thing happened for me that something somewhere along the way shifted. And I don't know if like being eco-minded became my norm and then like caused me to relax more, Jason, or if I got lazy. And I think about this sometimes, you know, I've had criticisms, especially because my main account on social media has been eco-vegan gal for many years. It felt like no matter what I posted, somebody would point out what wasn't eco-friendly about it. And I started to feel this pressure and anxiety from that. So some of the anxiety was never feeling good enough. And I think that causes some people to shut down. And for me, emotionally, like, especially lately, recognizing where I shut down, where I just like can't do any more, I tend to go through these like manic waves of like hyper focus and hyper passion and, and like doing everything I possibly can to like these super low lows where I don't feel like I can do anything. And I imagine a lot of people experience waves like that, maybe not as extreme, but just these moments of panic and fear and insomnia and wanting to go do something. And then it just becomes so much and so overwhelming and so daunting that it's paralyzing or or deeply frustrating or, or mentally disturbing. And I feel like our brains get to a point where we can't, our coping mechanism of shutdown kicks in. It's like, this is all too much and it feels hopeless and you feel helpless. One thing I've noticed recently, which I am curious about and I haven't dug into that much, is the difference between our personal responsibility as citizens versus bigger responsibility from the government and corporations. And there's been this idea passed around that I don't know if it's fully valid, but I sense it might be that citizens are not actually making as much of a bad impact on the planet as these corporations are. And and that, to me, makes logical sense. And I've wondered, and people have speculated, that we have been told by the media that it's our responsibility. Like, don't drink out of plastic straws, get a reusable straw, get a reusable water bottle, start buying things that are plastic free, bring your own grocery bag to the grocery store, all of those things. They've put all this weight on us. And most of those decisions feel easy. So a lot of us have done them. But I have noticed, Jason, 
over the years that I've been focusing on eco-friendly living, how many people don't do those things? You know, like some people find that really hard. They don't feel as motivated. They don't have the education. So they just buy a plastic water bottle and toss it in the recycling bin, not really knowing what happens to it. Recycling is a huge issue. Or they'll buy something and just not think twice. Like, this is just what you do. You get a plastic bag from the grocery store and you toss it out when you're done. You don't compost. You know, all of these things that I've been taught and trained to do. And I think that's a a sign that the education is not really working yet, Jason, or that it might be impossible for us to collectively get our acts together in time, which I think causes a lot of anxiety and fear within people. But then you wonder, what if you simply just didn't have the options to buy those things? That's ultimately where I think the biggest change would happen. Why do we even still offer plastic bags? You know, it blows my mind. In this year during the pandemic, Jason, I started getting takeout more frequently than before. Blows my mind how much stuff these restaurants put in a takeout bag. First of all, for sanitary reasons, like the waste went up. And then they'll just put a grip of napkins, a grip of utensils, a grip of ketchup packets, like all these condiments and stuff that you didn't even ask for. They just show up there. And I'm aware enough to sometimes ask, but sometimes I forget to ask them not to put those things in the bag. And then I'm stuck with this stuff that I either have to go this extra mile to recycle without even knowing if that's even making a difference because most of the stuff can't be recycled or I'm tossing it out. And that's my point is that these companies, big and small, I don't understand why they're not taking the action. It's almost like they've put it on, hey, we're going to offer you these things that are awful for the environment, but it's up to you, the consumer, to say no to them. But why are they offering them in the first place? Then we all have all, have all this greenwashing, which is incredibly frustrating. And it's not always very clear whether A, it's even that good on the environment, and B, like, is it just a marketing tactic to get us to spend more money? Sadly, a lot of eco-friendly products, if you compare them side by side, just like organic, they might either be the same price, but there's less in the organic or less in the eco-friendly packaging. And it's like, is this a, is this an easy way for companies to put less into a box, charge more for it and call it eco-friendly? You know, And as consumers, a lot of us just feel good about buying those things because we've been conditioned through the media that it's your responsibility to take good care of the environment. And it's not that we are not responsible. It is not that we can't make a difference. It's just that what I believe is being revealed right now slowly is that we're not making enough of a difference because we can't without the corporations making the bigger changes that need to happen. And I think we need to call them out more and demand things. I mean, you know me, like... (laughs) It's reminding me of these moments where I've almost lost my mind at businesses because I'm so aggravated. When somebody puts a straw in my coffee cup when I didn't ask for it, I want to lose my mind. And I've been to so many places. I remember last year, Jason, I went to this vegan restaurant and they gave me a soda. And because of COVID, I couldn't use my own container. Like sometimes I'll bring that with me. But I'm like, okay, I'm I'm not going to ask for a straw. 
And I remember I was like, hey, no straw, please. And they put it in anyways. And I explained to them, hey, you know, I'd appreciate it if you asked before you put the straw in or you just check in with me, like offer it. And they're, I think they were, or maybe they were holding it in their hand, Jason. I think this is what it was. I think they had it in their hand. They hadn't quite put it in my drink. They said, do you want a straw? I said, no. And then they threw it in the trash right in front of me. The number of times that's happened to me. And then they don't get it. They're working at a restaurant, a vegan restaurant, a natural restaurant, an organic restaurant, which to me is rooted in environmentalism or environmentalism is a huge benefit of going to a restaurant like that. And the employees don't have the awareness, which is not even their fault because the managers need to train them to have that awareness or they just should not have those things in the first place. So as a consumer, you can do your best, but but you're, I feel so helpless in those moments where I'm trying to do my best. And it's like, I think to your point, Jason, the anxiety is coming from us, the pressure to try to be eco-friendly and then to see ourselves failing and the failure after failure after failure leads people to give up, burn out, feel like completely helpless and hopeless. And I don't, I think we need to forgive ourselves and recognize that like, there's only so much that we can do. Other people are involved with all of this too. This is a collective experience and also a collective trauma that we're having, Jason, watching the earth show us all these signs. And we're sitting around feeling resentful towards others because we can't make these big changes happen. And I think that that also must have a ripple effect on mental health too, because we need each other to survive physically and mentally. But how can we even trust each other when there's so many things like this happening that lack that cooperation that we really need? I think part of it is the ongoing debate that want people want to have on whether or not climate change is real. And I briefly mentioned that, but I think part of it, because you brought up cooperation, Whitney, is there's a large contingent of humans on the planet that don't believe this is real and don't believe that it is of concern that places are flooded or hurricane destroyed or that we have an unprecedented drought on the West Coast. I feel like there's a lot of people that are just like bluntly don't give a shit. And I think for me, the anxiety sets in of despite our best efforts, are we doomed? Of course, that's not a question we have an answer to. We have no answer to that question. And if I look at things like certain states that are pledging to make gas vehicles illegal, I think California, what year was it? California set a mandate. The state of California set a mandate by... 2035, there's a executive order in the state of California that all new passenger cars, vehicles, and light trucks must be zero emission vehicles. And I've seen other states and also other car manufacturers say that they are going to transition to only electric vehicles by, you know, 2040, 2050. There's so many emotions around this, right? Because you, you see things like government mandates or auto manufacturers making these pledges, which are not legally bound, right? They can say anything publicly that they want, but it's not a legally bound mandate. My thing is this, right? 
and we'll link to everything we're talking about, every article in the show notes at wellevator.com. If you want to do more research, our website is w-e-l-l-e-v-a-t-r.com. You can click on the podcast section. It'll take you to the entire transcript, including the linked YouTube video in the transcript and show notes for this episode. I remember a few years ago, Whitney, reading an article, which I will find and we'll put in the show notes, that oil companies were aware of human-created climate change as early as the mid to late 80s. Like they had internal reports in the 80s talking about climate change and did nothing, nothing. The public wasn't made aware. The oil companies didn't do shit because why would they? They're profiting. They make billions and billions of dollars a year. But the fact is there was an awareness scientifically and on a corporate level about this since the 1980s. I get fucking enraged because it's like we just, yeah, let's phase out all all gas cars by 2050. We're recording this episode in 2021. That's 29 years from now. Do we have 29 years to, quote, turn this around? I mean, looking at the number of degrees that the Earth keeps warming, looking at the number of climate catastrophes, which the wildfires and hurricanes and floods do not seem to be abating. I mean, I've talked to native Californians. You're from Massachusetts. I'm from Michigan, Whitney. But I've talked to a lot of my friends that are native Californians who've been here for decades. And they said in the last, say, five to seven years, the rate and the frequency and the intensity of wildfires shows no sign of reduction. You know, so what we're talking about is, okay, great. We're setting these these things with the Paris Climate Accord. We're sending these these state-level mandates. The auto manufacturers are saying we're going to phase out gas vehicles in 20 to 25 years. Do we have that long? I don't know. I don't have an answer to this, but it concerns me that people seem to be like, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll make these changes in like 25 to 30 years. That feeds my anxiety. Because to your point, we as individuals, yes, it's not to say that we as individuals don't have the power to make an in- impact, right? If we compost and recycling seems to be a farce. I mean, I, I've seen so many interesting videos lately, Whitney, that says something like only seven to 10% of the available recyclable plastic is recycled. You know, that's also deflating. It's like, fuck, I've been recycling for like 25 years. You're telling me only like seven to 10% of that's been recycled. It's disheartening. It's disheartening as an individual when you try as hard as you can. You alter your diet. You recycle, as you said, you compost, you buy an electric car, you try and reuse as much as possible. You try and not take single use plastics. We try and do all these things as best we can. And yet you still see the flooding. You still see the wildfires. You see corporations dragging their fucking asses. Well, we'll get to that in 30 years and stops. It's like, fuck you. We don't have 30 years. Fuck you. 2050. Oh, we'll get to in 2050. If we keep going at the rate we're at. Great. I'll be driving around my cyber truck in a world that's on fire. Perfect. Can you make it fireproof? Could you make the truck fireproof? And could you make it so that it, you know, go, go gadget extends 12 feet so I can go through the floods? And I say that jokingly, but legitimately, Whitney, in 29 to 30 years, we may be changing the way we live in houses. There might be mirrors on the top of our houses deflecting the heat away from the house, right? I've read things about that. We might have to have cars that literally are fireproof and floodproof. I mean, the idea of climate change getting worse is going to absolutely change how we live on the earth as human beings. It will absolutely have to change so many things. 
And maybe that's one of the reasons I don't want to have children. I know this is maybe a right-left turn, but it it goes back to the beginning of this Guardian article that we're referencing about eco-anxiety. If I look at like one of the reasons I don't want to have children, I don't know that I want to bring children into the world that we may be facing. It scares the shit out of me to think about handing over a world that is constantly battling the things that we are just now getting a taste of. That worries the shit out of me, and I have a ton of anxiety around that. And that is one of the reasons I don't want to have kids. I don't want to hand this world over to them. Like, here you go. Good luck. Good luck. We fucked it up for you. Good luck. Like, it hurts my heart to even think about it. And I don't think you're alone in that. A lot of people express similar things. And I imagine there would be anxiety from somebody who already has kids, who's made that decision, and then hitting this realization that's got to be really scary really frustrating, you know, and and when you're talking about the changes taking another 30 years, are those decisions being made by people that aren't even going to live another 30 years? That's how a lot of young people seem to feel. And for context, meaning teenagers, mostly people in their early 20s, just expressing how they feel abandoned. And there's already a lot of frustrations with boomers right now that I see a lot about how they had it best. Like they had the ability to make amount of the certain amount of money and buy the house and get all of these things that, that younger generations, Gen X, millennials, Gen Zs have felt pressured to accomplish, but the cards are against us. And is that the right phrase? The cards are against stacked. The cards are stacked against us. That is correct. Yes. (laughs) I mean, I don't know if I've consciously felt that way, but the more I hear that express, the more I wonder, hmm, are we even able to accomplish the things that we're being asked to accomplish in a lot of senses? And I've noticed that mental health has been a bigger concern. It's become trendier. It's talked about more. I often wonder, Jason, is that because it's getting worse or is it because that we just have this awareness and we're not going to run and hide from it like maybe some of the older generations had done? Like They didn't want to admit that they were struggling. They didn't want to admit how bad things were. So they covered it up and made it seem like the right job and the right marriage and the right house and the right car and all these superficial things were fulfilling enough, but have they all just been band-aids for us to cover up all the pain that we're feeling and all the struggles? Have they just been distractions? And right now we see technology being a huge concern, but can you blame people that they just desperately want to run and hide from the hardships? And I pulled up the article or the website for the APA's American Psychiatrics Association's findings about how extreme weather affects mental health. And it's really heartbreaking to read today at the end of June when for the past few days, I've been seeing a lot of people post about how much they're suffering up in the Pacific Northwest. And I've had this weird feeling about that, Jason, that I'll openly acknowledge. It's these moments of thinking, gosh, I'm glad I don't live there. And then suddenly I'm like, that's an awful feeling to be relieved that I'm not suffering the way those people are. And knowing that, to your point, Jason, 
we're not really safe anywhere because in Los Angeles, we can have a heat wave. We did last year. We have mudslides and fires and earthquakes and awful things. I wouldn't really want someone in a different part of the country or the world thinking, thank goodness I don't live in Los Angeles. Like that type of response is depressing. But at the same time, are we all just at this point where we're too exhausted? We've talked about having compassion fatigue and compassion fade and how at a certain point, like we just can't handle having compassion for others because we're barely getting by within ourselves. And I mean, I remember also feeling similarly when Texas was going through the opposite problem with their extreme weather and the freak snowstorm they had earlier this year. And I had the same thought. Thank goodness I don't live there. And meanwhile, I'm watching these people suffer because they are not prepared. And I think that's a huge the issue here, Jason, is the lack of preparation. I feel fortunate that I tend to think ahead a lot, almost obsessively. I desire comfort. I mean, I find comfort in anticipating challenges. And I remember other people expressing that when COVID started and there were all these like doomsday preppers that had stocked up on things. And they're like, thank goodness we did that. Everyone thought we were crazy until people ran out of toilet paper and food. And I think we're getting to this point as part of that anxiety, Jason, of like, I better prepare just in case X, Y, Z happens. You know, I got to prepare for the tsunami. I got to prepare for the earthquake. I got to prepare for the freak weather change. I got to prepare for the fires. It's like this, all of this deep fear. It's almost like we're going back to the time when people were building the doomsday shelters underground. And when I think of stuff like that, I'm like, Ooh, maybe I should do that. Like making a safe haven underground so I can survive whatever horrific thing could happen at any moment's notice. Going back to that APA article it's very straightforward and just going over all this, the statistics and it's short. We'll link to this as well. So I'll read this. Climate change and related disasters cause anxiety related responses as well as chronic and severe mental health disorders. Flooding and prolonged droughts have been associated with elevated levels of anxiety, depression and post-traumatic stress disorders. The trauma and losses from a disaster, such as losing a home or job or being disconnected from neighborhood and community, can contribute to depression and anxiety. Extreme weather events have also been associated with increases in aggressive behavior and domestic violence. Exposure to extreme heat may lead to an increased use of alcohol to cope with stress, increases in hospital and emergency room admissions for people with mental health or psychiatric conditions, and an increase in suicide. The need for mental health services increases in the aftermath of a climate-related disaster. At the same time, there's often a disruption in services or a decrease in the availability or accessibility of services. And we're still in the midst of a pandemic, which it's like recently the reports coming out about the new variant. And it's like, felt like we were on the cusp of relief. And now we're being told, hey, we still got a, a battle to face here. Can't stop yet. Can't go out without your mask yet. Never mind. Things are changing again. And to your point, Jason, the amount of people that don't believe in wearing masks, don't believe in getting the vaccine, don't even believe the pandemic's real. 
that to me reminds me of climate change in the sense that you were describing before. And I'm not saying they're apples to apples because you might believe in climate change, but also not, you might be anti-vax, right? It's not mutually exclusive. And it's not even my point to judge because I know this, like to your point, Jason, we have people who listen to our show who get very heated about this. My point is that the lack of unity that we have is really challenging. And then when you hear all these statistics, it's like we get up in these cycles where if we're not cooperating together, we just, it makes it worse. And then that lack of cooperation causes us to feel all these disconnects and that's feeding our depression and anxiety. Because I think in addition to feeling frustrated and resentful and you're fighting this uphill battle because people aren't agreeing with what you believe in, you get the depression and anxiety from that. You get the depression and anxiety from feeling disconnected from people when deep down you really want to be connected. And then all this coping. I mean, people hurting each other. We see violence. We see people abusing all these different stimulants. I mean, I'm surprised it didn't point out the opioid crisis, like all of these things that people do to cope. I mean, what my big question is, Jason, is the climate going to change or are we just changing and going so downhill as a society that we're not going to survive it from a mental health standpoint? Like the earth might still be around for a long time, but we must, might drive ourselves insane. Yeah, I think that's an important distinction, right? Because I think when we entertain most apocalyptic scenarios and we say like the end of the world, we don't actually mean the end of the world. We mean the end of humanity. Because I believe that the earth can regenerate itself. I believe that nature in its infinite wisdom and mechanics and things we have no understanding about how nature works. We have very limited understanding, even with all of our scientific revelations. We say, oh, the end of the world. I think what we actually mean is the end of humanity. We're not worried about the end of the earth. We're about worried about the end of us. And I think... The earth would do just fine without us. You know, I'm going to reveal something about myself. I don't know if I've ever said out loud publicly, but I vacillate a lot between <laughs> being in a position of wanting to do everything I can to support humanity in surviving what we have created partially for ourselves and hoping that, you know, human consciousness and humanity survives in some form. And then I get into a mood sometimes, Whitney, where I'm like, you know what? fuck it. Let's just destroy ourselves because the earth will be better without us. Like there's a part of me that feels kind of like we are the virus, truly. Like our greed, our short-sightedness, our fear, our violent tendencies, you know, kind of the quote worst parts of human beings. There's part of me sometimes, I want to say when I say this, I tend to be more in the let's do everything we can because I do have hope. But in my moments of hopelessness, I'm just like, you know what? I don't want to help. The earth might be in a better state if we were just wiped completely off of it. And it hurts me to say that, but I do feel that way sometimes. I get very nihilistic. I sit in nihilism sometimes and I'm like, maybe it's too far gone. Maybe we're too far gone. And maybe we're not worth saving. And be, oh my God, that sounds so anti-human. I don't know that I'm anti-human. I just think that sometimes I take a pretty hard stance on like how little we've evolved beyond our violent, warring, greedy, egotistical tendencies as humans. And sometimes I sit in that too long and I'm like, yeah, maybe we aren't going to get out of this mess because maybe we're just too shitty. 
And I don't want to sit there too long because it doesn't feel good to sit there too long. And I'd rather focus on the good aspects of the human experience. But I do go there sometimes, Whitney. It's hard for me to even say it out loud because I feel gross just admitting it. But there are times I'm just like, just let it burn to the ground. Fuck it. We've done this. Just let, let human beings be wiped off the planet. Let's start fresh with something else. And even say, yeah, saying it like I cringe just even admitting it. Well, that can be part of the mental challenge of this all, you know, like it's mentally tough. And sometimes we don't think straight when we're suffering. And I think that's a huge part of this issue. A lot of people can't worry about humanity when they're struggling so much on their own. One thing that gives me motivation, Jason, when I look at this article is who is affected by climate change. And it begins off by saying some people are more vulnerable to the potential impacts of climate change, including children, the elderly, the chronically ill, people with cognitive or mobility impairments, pregnant and and postpartum women, and people with mental illness. People of lower socioeconomic status, migrants, refugees, and the homeless may also be more vulnerable. And I think given that you and I are each relatively privileged white people and not on any of those lists unless you want to count mental illness, who are we to give up when there are people that are much more vulnerable in places where they are not able to do everything that you and I are able to do from a financially standpoint, from a race standpoint, from a economical, or I hear said that from a um, mobility standpoint, like all these advantages, if you want to use that term or privileges, perhaps that we have, if we're not willing to step up and do those things, then how is anyone going to be able to move forward? Right. And that is also part of the concern. And you have to also think about it this way, where if we're struggling with these thoughts and anxieties, Jason, how do you think those people who have disadvantages are feeling. And I think that is probably an advantage to having children, Jason, is that it is a daily reminder that there is somebody that needs your support. And for you and I also, not having children, we don't have that viewpoint as much as parents do. As much as people, we don't have dependents, you and I, aside from our animals. So I think that's an incredibly important thing to mention that we almost have the privilege of not caring because we don't have that immediate connection to somebody who needs us to step up. And that's really concerning. What I am getting from this and something that has been an ongoing like whisper within me is I want my work across the board to be rooted in well-being. My hunch is that the younger generations are going to suffer so much with their mental health, Jason, because there's so much stacked against them. And there are moments like when we've talked about ageism and there's times where I just sit there and think, oh my gosh, like I'm getting older and, you know, the society just tosses aside a lot of older people and like, I'm not even that old, but I have that mentality Because media just rewards teenagers and people in their early 20s and like people that look a certain way and you can feel so defeated and you can feel resentful that you're not that. But then I stop and think like, wow, all of the things that I went through when I was 
a teenager and 20 something, all the struggles that I had, things are worse for people of those ages now than they were for me. What did I wish I had? What support did I need? And what, and how can I magnify, amplify that to support them? I get motivated by that. And I get, you know, it's not just an age thing, but it's like, I think when we can look at people that seemingly have their needs taken care of, but recognize that deep down they might not have what they really need, or they don't even recognize it because a lot of people are short-sighted, you know? And we, we look at right now what's happening, Jason. We see people who are rising up against big corporations. I have a hunch that there's going to be a massive shift with Amazon. I hope. I hope it's possible. But the posts that I've seen recently about Amazon workers expressing how fed up they are with the conditions there, it feels to me like there's this change coming, that they are going to find a way to threaten this huge company, right? Like that's, I don't know if it's just a hope, but I feel that right now. I see people who are quitting jobs, as we've talked about in the past, because they're dissatisfied with how they're being treated. And people are standing up for their well-being in a remarkable way. That doesn't mean that they're okay. They've got a lot of work to do mentally and emotionally, but they're they're quitting. And the corporations are having to pay them more. They're having to change things because they recognize they can't do these things without them. And so these movements, Jason, I think are showing the power that we have. But unfortunately, a lot of these changes don't happen until things get really bad. And that's the other thing I'm thinking as we're discussing this is, you know, during last year, it was over a year ago now, after George Floyd's death, the power that the Black Lives Matter movement had was so intense. And that caused me to make a lot of changes But I didn't feel that until it got really bad. And collectively, people said, we're fed up. We need to change. I've noticed this. We see these uprisings. We see these collective traumas. We see people like in Seattle and Portland right now, literally right now, recognizing that it's messed up that they don't have air conditioning. That's a huge issue that a lot of these people, Jason, do not have air conditioning in their homes because their homes we're not prepared for this. Uh, the weather is never going to get that bad. We don't need to put air conditioning in. Now people are suffering and they're literally hanging out in malls just to get air conditioning. So now buildings are probably going to be forced to put air conditioning in. You know, We've seen a lot of shifts happen and how people will come together when things get really bad, when there's a collective trauma. Sadly, though, to your point as well, Jason is like, it's almost a little bit too late in a lot of those circumstances because people will lose their lives over this. And the PTSD, the long-term impacts of mental suffering is a scar that may never fully heal. Well, a wound that will never fully heal. heal. There will always be a scar there. And unfortunately, though, I don't think enough people have that long-term awareness, Jason, to make the changes now so that we can prevent all the tragedies and prevent all the wounds. And I think that's just part of how, unfortunately, we as humanity are wired or conditioned. It makes me wonder in terms of 
the economics and the politics behind all this because I, I'm not proposing that everything change overnight because it can't. We talk about the inertia of corporations changing, governments changing, policies changing. I harangue them for setting these goals by 2050, but I also realize that because of human inertia, things take a lot longer than we think they ought to in many cases, especially if we think about the possibility of the impending destruction of humanity on a planet that can no longer host us. That to me seems like the biggest possible issue that any of us could face in our lifetime. It does not minimize racism, sexism, homophobia, speciesism. It doesn't minimize any of those. But in my mind, it seems like an uninhabitable planet kind of trumps all those issues. Like, I wonder how much we are being distracted from the most critical issues. Not to say again, these other issues are not critical. Absolutely. But if we don't have a habitable planet in 20, 30, 40 years, we're not going to be fucking concerned with any of those things. We're going to be concerned with survival. I get fired up. I get fired up about this because it seems to me that, you know, we'll link to this, I think, in the show notes if I can find it, which I think I can find it because it's on my phone somewhere. But years ago, there was this cartoon, like a single frame that was being passed around the Internet. And the cartoon was a guy in a business suit, like a white man in a business suit around a campfire with like five or seven other people. And in the distance, you see like a city that's just destroyed. And the caption under the the white businessman talking to the group around the campfire was like, yeah, you know, we destroyed the planet. But for a while, we created a lot of shareholder value. (laughs) It's like human inertia and our ability to get stuck in like, that's just how we do things. Cool. Cool. You rewarded your shareholders with billions of dollars in profit. Good luck spending the money on a planet that is on fire. Good luck. Like, there's just a part of me, Whitney, that doesn't understand the somewhat sociopathic desire to make as much money as possible on a planet that looks like it might be doomed. We don't know yet, but it might be. But hey, it's cool. We got our yacht and our share price and all of our stuff. Because fuck it, I won't be around to even have to face it. There's a lot of sociopathic behavior going on on the planet. And I think this issue around climate change and corporate responsibility and what's happening on a government level, there's a lot of sociopaths running things that don't seem to give a shit. Or we'll take baby steps because, hey, I'll get mine and I'll leave it to the next generation. It, it like this is bringing up so many emotions of rage for me because it just I don't understand our obsession with power and money and greed because there's nothing wrong with money. There's nothing wrong with profit, but doing it for the sake of like, you know, cut off our nose to spite our face. I just don't understand that mentality. It baffles me how slow we are to change. That being said, I still get excited about when I hear about technologies, about the desalination of ocean water, right? That maybe we can have more drinkable water by taking the salt water out of ocean water and having that as drinkable water. Great innovation. There's some interesting ideas about putting satellites into space to reflect the rays of the sun back out into the universe. That's very exciting technology. I find the incredible demand for electric vehicles and the decrease in price exciting too. 
I, that's all very exciting. So while I say I'm angry as shit about all this, which I am, I also have an equal amount of enthusiasm for a lot of the interesting technology that are being created. The question is, can we implement them at scale in time? That's where I'm at. I don't think that the, the human spirit and the innovation and our knowledge and our desire to help. I believe that's an intrinsic part of humanity. In addition, and I don't, you know, to the greed, to the short-sightedness, I believe that humans have an indomitable will to survive and flourish. I think that's one of the most beautiful aspects of being a human being. My curiosity, Wit, is will we implement all this in time? Don't know. I mean, I guess we'll be around to see part of it, won't we? Hopefully, who knows? But I do get excited about a lot of the innovations and the technology and the things the increasing amount of people eating plant-based, right? I mean, we're seeing year after year, millions more people on the planet eating what I perceive to be a more ethical, climate-friendly, animal-friendly, human-friendly diet. I try to, when I get in this mode, Whitney, of being like, just let it fucking burn, who cares? Like, I try to remember the good things and I try and focus on the joy and excitement of the innovations that are happening and how people are changing. I try when I get down and dirty and dark and existential, I try to focus on those things, you know, because those are the things that bring me out of that dark place. And I think that's incredibly important because this conversation can cause more anxiety, more frustration that wasn't already there. And hopefully the listener isn't like, well, you just made me feel worse today. <laughs> Unfortunately, that is a real possibility. That's why this show is called This Might Get Uncomfortable. But we also have to examine our response to it and just notice like, okay, do you feel like drinking right now because you feel overwhelmed? Do you feel like having violent rage? Do you feel like taking drugs or watching TV or sitting on your phone scrolling on TikTok, which is probably what I'm going to do to cope? You know, I, I it's interesting with TikTok. Like I really pay a lot of attention to how I'm feeling when I use it. And sometimes it's informational. Like I said, it, it, I, in other episodes, it, it often replaces the news for me. I, I feel more connected to people. And that's an important thing too, is that even though technology isn't replacing the deep need for in-person communication and community experiences, it does help me understand what other people are going through. And for that, I'm very, very grateful. So yes, it feels like a distraction as most entertainment does, but it also shows me what people are going through around the world. I wouldn't know what's happening in Seattle and Portland to this extent if I weren't browsing through these videos. I wouldn't know what people that are different than me are experiencing because of their differences or what people ha are doing across the world. Like I felt incredibly grateful to know more about what was happening Last year, I, I heard about George Floyd's death through social media. I understood more about COVID early on and saw what people were reporting in China very early because of platforms like TikTok. So sometimes our coping has benefits. Maybe having a drink is what relaxes you and also connects you to people. Right now, I think a lot of people are excited about having parties and going to bars and more restaurants and gathering in groups. And certainly there's an element of coping there, but there is an element of bonding and that can be very healing. So I think for each of us, it's all about noticing our habits and our behaviors, examining them, questioning them, talking to other people, 
learning about them and, you know, understanding that many of us are struggling mentally. Our anxiety is higher and depression. All of these things are common. People are talking about them with more transparency. And hopefully articles like the one that we started with today, Jason, are inspiring more therapists. It certainly has inspired me to do more when it comes to well-being. You know, one thing that I, I really hope to focus a lot on with my work moving forward is coaching people with their well-being. And that's something that I started to feel more motivated to do because of what's happened in the past year. So I think the the side of this, Jason, is like if we can examine how this what this evokes within us and what do we do with that motivation and inspiration, even if it does involve some sadness and rage and depression and anxiety and fear. And sometimes those can also motivate us. Sometimes those things are temporary. Sometimes those things are just part of the human experience. And instead of avoiding them, we can confront them. And maybe through confronting them, that helps us make these changes to our, the best of our abilities. And on a, another positive note, this is part of what inspired us to create our second podcast, This Hits the Spot, because we know episodes like this can be, feel very heavy. And we have like our own little remedy. We talk about products that we love, which may or may not be things that we consume to cope. You know, we love CBD products. We love chocolate. Like those can be very pleasurable, soothing things to consume. Thus, we launched another happier podcast. So if you're feeling a little like not your best right now and want to find something that hits the spot, go check out this show. Because <laughs> the whole concept of our new show, This Hits the Spot, is to show you what makes us feel good, whether it's a food or a drink or a supplement or a, or a website or an app that we've downloaded, a video we've watched. And, you know, all of it is just positivity. And I think, uh, I'm very grateful for that show, Jason, given episodes and topics like this. So This Hits the Spot is private. It's just for our newsletter subscribers, which is free. And it's also for our patrons, which is a, a way for you to contribute to the show. So whatever avenue you want to take, we will include a link to This Hits the Spot in the show notes for this episode, which is at wellevator.com. If you go to the podcast section, you'll find this episode with the links and the transcript and the YouTube video if you're not already watching it and a link to This Hits the Spot. Any closing thoughts, Jason? I need to go do something fun right now because I feel sad. So I think I'm going to go outside and play ball with my dog, take her on a walk. I just got a new punching bag outside a mobile, like a stand-up. So I, I'm going to do that whenever I feel like rage, anger, despondency, nihilism. I'm just going to go take it out on the punching bag, which I think is a healthy way to get some exercise and release that energy. Yeah. So I, I think all of the above and maybe ice cream later too. Ice cream sounds good. Anyway, that's, I think the balance of life is what we're talking about. And we bring these topics to this podcast because we think that the issues we talk about are things that we want to discuss with you. We want to hear from you. And we also want to have a balance of remembering that joy is important also and doing things that make us feel alive, even in the face of potential impending doom. It's important to be joyful and do things that make us feel good. So we try and strike that balance in our lives and also with our offerings here at Wellevator, try and offer that to you too. So with that said, we'll have everything in the show notes. Again, our website is wellevator.com, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. 
And if you have any reflections, musings, inspirations, rebuttals to what we talked about here about climate change, PTSD, and anxiety, you can shoot us an email. It's hello at wellevator.com. goes directly to Whitney and myself. Everything you say is held in complete confidence, and we always love hearing your feedback. That being said, thanks for getting uncomfortable with us as always. And we'll be back with another episode of this podcast and also our private podcast. If you want to throw a couple dollars our way so we can keep doing this work in the world. We love you. We appreciate you. Thanks for the support. We'll be back again soon. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.